0: Okay. Show me. Sometimes, that is better. Welcome to the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. Be sure you never, ever scream. A podcast where we will explore the dark corners of our world, the weird, the creepy, and the strange. There are no accidents. Eric Carrier. The boogeyman is real, and they mostly come at night. My co-host is Jessica Carrier. Thank you for joining us for a journey into the unknown. Be one of us. Let's get started with today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast, and I am your host, Eric Carrier. I am here as always with my wife and my co host, Jessica. Jess, how are you today?
1: You know, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Illinois.
0: Illinois has been a bit bipolar lately, wouldn't you say? Mm hmm. <laughs> Swinging from highs to lows. It's
1: kind of on a manic phase right now, and I like that.
0: Today also happens to be St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you.
1: Yes, our daughters did not catch a leprechaun this year.
0: They attempt it every year, and every year Seamus gets away somehow. He is a slickery little fellow.
1: Yeah, they modified a no-kill mouse trap this year. It's basically a metal box with plexiglass on top, and they decorated it with shamrocks and lights. It was a really cute idea. They did not want to kill the leprechaun, but they did want to catch him to get his gold. He tends to get out every year by some means or other, so they wanted a trap that was metal so he couldn't get out. Well, this year, Eric's Yeti and Sasquatch figurines lifted up the cage to help him get out. So they didn't catch him, but they got some treats.
0: And here I am thinking that Yeti and Sasquatch are just figurines. They're not really real, but apparently when Seamus is around, they become real.
1: Yeah, it was really funny because the girls were like, does that mean that they move around at night? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh.
0: All toys move around at night. Well, what do we have in store for our listeners today?
1: Well, we know how much you guys love your cursed objects, so we decided to do another cursed objects, but this time it has a Hollywood-themed twist. So we've got a couple of cursed items to talk about, as well as some movies and characters that are said to be cursed.
0: Alright, I am excited for this topic because I do like my cursed items. But before we can do that, we need to take just a moment and do some self-promotion. Don't worry, we will keep it short and simple. Get that finger off that skip button.
1: Basically, the spiel is this. Thanks for listening please share the show. Check out our website if you're interested in merch or leaving a tip, leave a review, and subscribe to our social media channels. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, and love to hang out and meet you guys there.
0: We want to thank Sean from Memphis for purchasing a t-shirt this week. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate your support. Jess, is there anything else? Nope. Okay, let's get started with today's show.
1: Behind the glitzy and glamorous facade of Hollywood lies a shadowy dark side. It's not just urban legend. Hollywood is full of weird, spooky, and wild tales of cursed items, actors, and productions. Eric, do you think it's just bad luck, or is there some truth behind these uh, Hollywood curses?
0: I think that uh, the answer is yes. I think certain roles do require certain energies, and maybe these energies pull from another plane. I also think that Actors and actresses, they bring their own troubles to the sets sometimes.
1: Yeah, their lives are often plagued with alcohol abuse and drug use and other drama that could maybe cause accidents or problems to occur.
0: So yes, I think that some of this drama is potentially supernatural, and I think some of this drama is caused from natural consequences and choices. But when you put these two together and you look at these situations, it does appear that some of these may be curses. So the first curse that we want to talk to you about is James Dean and his famous car Little Bastard. This is probably one of the most famous Hollywood curses and does have a lot of evidence to support it. So James Dean was a very popular actor from the 50s. He was very charismatic, he was young, he was handsome, rebellious, and he infatuated audiences. He loved fast cars, he loved beautiful women, and he loved racing. And to further his career as a racer, James purchased a Porsche 550 Spyder on September 21st in anticipation. For his return back into SCCA Motorsports. And SCCA stands for Sports Car Club of America. And it is an organization that does road racing and rally sports. And it allows both amateur and professional drivers to enter. And James Dean loved this. You
1: know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing that there's kind of a combination of a perfect storm here. We have... Young, handsome actor, we've got women, we've got car racing. It almost seems like something bad's gonna happen.
0: Well, we've seen something similar to this in our own lifetime with Paul Walker, right? Mm-hmm. So young, charismatic, enjoys racing, enjoys women, and has a bad outcome, right? Exactly. But all in all, the tragedy that occurred to James Dean hasn't really been blamed on James Dean. It's been blamed on James Dean's car, Little Bastard.
1: British actor Alex Guinness may have been the first to sense that something wasn't quite right with Little Bastard. And if you don't know who Alex Guinness is, he was Obi-Wan in the first Star Wars trilogy. Guinness was a good friend of Dean's, and a week before the car crash, he met the actor in Los Angeles... Guinness reported that the first time he saw the Porsche, he had an ominous feeling, and he actually wrote in his diary, quote, The sports car looks sinister to me, exhausted, hungry, feeling a little ill-tempered. In spite of Dean's kindness, I heard myself saying to him in a voice I could hardly recognize as my own, please never get in it. If you get in that car, you'll be found dead in it by this time next week, which turned out to be a pretty prophetic warning.
0: So the original plan was to tow the car to its introductory race, uh, which was going to be held in Salinas, California. But Dean's mechanic wanted to break in the engine and also wanted Dean to get more familiar with handling the car. So they decided to drive it there instead. Unfortunately, things did not go as planned, and Dean's life ended prematurely on September 30th, 1955, just nine days after purchasing his Porsche. Dean was traveling 85 miles per hour when he slammed into another vehicle while traveling down the highway.
1: Because of the horrific nature of the accident, the car was declared a total loss and sent to a salvage yard. It was at this point that Southern California racer William Esrich purchased the car for parts. He then pieced the car out to different racing cars. The engine was put into a Lotus 9, and some suspension parts were sold to Troy Lee McHenry, for use in his Porsche racing car. Coincidentally or not, both men crashed in the very same race almost 11 months after Dean's death. McHenry's Porsche hit the only tree on the racetrack on the first lap of the 1956 Panoma sports car races, and he died from injuries sustained in this accident. This is where the idea of a curse really starts to take off, and where Little Bastard's death count really starts to rise.
0: Now, there wasn't much left of Little Bastard at this point, and what was left, which included basically four wheels, a mangled body, and a twisted frame, were sold to George Barris. Barris is a famous car restorer and builder, and it was his intention to rebuild the vehicle, but after purchasing it, he found out that it was beyond repair, so he sold off two of the wheels, And he loaned the body to the Los Angeles chapter of the National Safety Council. And they used it as a traveling display. They put it up at high schools. They put it up at drive-in movie theaters. And the idea was to warn teenagers of the dangers of the road and the dangers of speeding. This is when the car, while in storage, and for some unknown reason, just burst into flames one day. And amazingly, there was little damage to the car, except for two tires which had melted. The other two tires, which Barris sold, were reported to have blown at the same time, causing another accident. So Jess, is this supernatural at this point, or do you still think this is natural?
1: Well, I don't know how a car just bursts into flame while in storage. That's kind of strange.
0: Yeah, a car that is in storage, or a car that's being used as a display would not normally be stored with gasoline in it. That would just be ridiculous, right?
1: Yeah, so for it to just explode on its own and go into fire and then have no damage except for the tires, that is kind of strange.
0: And for the other two tires that were sold to both blow exactly at the same time, I don't know, to me it's becoming a bit more supernatural.
1: I'm starting to wonder if there's maybe a curse placed on the car. I mean, really, was it cursed? Because it seems like... All the parts that come from the car seem to cause problems.
0: And if not cursed, it's at least got some sort of bad juju or bad energy about it.
1: Yeah, but even this isn't the end of the story. The car's body that was on display fell from the display multiple times and on multiple occasions. On one occasion, it broke the hip of a bystander, and another time it killed George Barkas, a truck driver, who had been hired to transport the vehicle to a road safety expo.
0: Yeah. And then the car just kind of up and disappears. In the 1960s, while being transported from Miami to Los Angeles, the car mysteriously disappears, never to be seen again. And to this date, nobody knows exactly where this car is. In fact, there has only been one part that is still confirmed to be from Dean's car still out there, and it is a transaxle, That was found in a wooden crate in rural Massachusetts. And I don't have any records to suggest that this transaxle was ever placed into a vehicle. And I think I would recommend that it not ever be placed in a vehicle.
1: (laughs) I wonder what happened to the rest of the car. Did someone incinerate it or hide it so no one else could get hurt? I don't know.
0: Well, one of the rumors, and it's certainly not confirmed, is that George Barris knowing all the damage that this vehicle has caused has hidden it away somewhere and has never told anybody where it's at if barris has done this he has never fessed up to it now whether the car is actually cursed or if all the horrible coincidences and accidents that have occurred around it are just bad luck i don't know that that's a question that we'll be able to answer So another Hollywood-based item that is believed to be cursed is Rudolph Valentino's ring. Now, you probably don't know who Rudolph Valentino is because he was popular way before our time, back in the 1920s, actually. But like Dean, Rudolph Valentino was a heartthrob. I guarantee you that your great-grandmother knew who Valentino was. Unfortunately, Valentino also died young. He was thirty-one years old when he died from an infection that set in after having surgery for bleeding ulcers. But many people believe that it wasn't the infection that killed Valentino, but it was actually a curse brought on by a ring that Valentino had purchased.
1: Let's talk about this ring for a little bit. The ring was called the Destiny Ring. Doesn't that have a ring to it, Eric? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Valentino bought this ring from a shop owner in San Francisco, and the shop owner told him that the ring was cursed and didn't want to sell it to him. I'd be interested to know what this curse was and how it came about, but there are no records to indicate how the ring originally became cursed. All we know is that it was cursed and the shop owner did not want to sell it to Valentino, but Valentino insisted on purchasing it. As far as the ring goes, it was said to be fairly simple, What we know is that it was a silver ring set with a semi-precious tiger-eye crystal. And once Valentino purchased it, his bad luck began.
0: Now, Valentino was a huge star in his day, and he had huge box office power, and none of his movies had ever flopped. That is until he started wearing this ring. Valentino is reported to have been wearing this ring while he was filming the movie The Young Raja. And that film is Valentino's only flop. And it was during the premiere of his next movie, The Son of the Sheik, that Valentino collapsed and ended up dying a few days later when he was misdiagnosed with appendicitis. Valentino was believed to have been wearing this ring at the time of his death. Now, was Valentino the first victim of the ring? Perhaps but he would definitely not be its last.
1: The next owner of the ring was Valentino's lover, actress Pola Negri, who immediately fell ill after receiving the ring. While she recovered, her career didn't. And believing the ring to be the cause of her bad luck, she gave it away. That doesn't seem like a very good thing to do if you think something is bad luck. But she gave it away to a singer named Russ Colombo.
0: She must have really had it in for russy hair. I know, <laughs> but you're right. Giving a cursed ring away probably isn't the best way to get rid of it.
1: Yeah, it turns out that only days after receiving the ring, he was shot and killed by a friend. After his death, the ring was passed on to his friend Joe Cassino. Now, Casino didn't believe in the curse, but in honor of his friend, he put the ring on display. While on display, nothing happened, but Joe eventually decided to wear the ring and when he did wear it, he died a week later after a hit-and-run accident. Cassino's brother, Dell, then inherited it. Dell wisely locked it away. That is, until James Willis tried to steal it.
0: Willis, while trying to steal the ring, inadvertently set off the alarm, and when the police responded, they shot and killed him. Valentino's ring was found in his pocket. Dell locked the ring away again, and kept it locked away until director Edward Small asked Dell if he could borrow it in order to make a movie about Valentino's life. Small asked a relatively unknown actor by the name of Jack Dunn to wear the ring while he was portraying Valentino for the movie. Dunn wore the ring as asked and died two weeks later from a blood disease. Now, the records aren't stating exactly what this blood disease was, but he did end up dying.
1: That is so crazy.
0: So, Valentino's ring claimed yet another life.
1: Dell seems to be a pretty smart guy, and his smartest move in this whole process was never wearing the ring. Knowing its dangers, he finally hid the ring away by placing it in a bank vault in Los Angeles, where the ring is said to have survived numerous robbery attempts and a fire. Why do things like that always seem to survive, Eric? People die and have tragedy, yet the ring survives. You can't steal it, you can't burn it, you can't destroy it. Why is that?
0: I think it's because it's cursed?
1: (laughs) I don't know, maybe.
0: Now, today, the actual location of the ring is unknown. It's not known if it's been stolen, it's not known if it's still in the bank vault. Whoever has it is keeping their lips sealed tight. And that is probably for the best.
1: But the legend of the ring, however, still lives on. A portrait of Valentino, Negri, and the ring sold at auction in 2017 for nearly
0: $200,000. Fortunately for the buyer, the curse does not seem to follow the picture. And as far as we know, the buyer is doing well. And we wish them continued luck. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, did you know that there are certain movie sets or movies that are considered to be cursed?
1: You know, I'd heard that before, but I didn't really know much about it until I'd actually started researching for this episode.
0: Yeah, there are a couple of famous ones, you know, like uh, the Omen set or the Poltergeist set. Those do seem to carry with them a lot of legend and folklore. But this next one I was a little surprised about because, quite frankly, I didn't know that Dark Knight was considered to be a cursed movie. Did you?
1: No, I didn't. I always thought, oh, this is a great movie, and then... Come to find out, there's a lot of a tragedy that surrounded this
0: movie. Yeah, more than just the death of Heath Ledger. So let's take a look at this potentially cursed movie set.
1: Well, first of all, we loved this movie, as most of you did.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the Batman story, this movie was groundbreaking. It really took Batman from this campy comic book character to a true anti-hero and gave him a depth of character that we really had not seen in his movies before.
1: Yes, and not only did they give Batman a depth of character, they also gave the villains a depth of character, especially Heath Ledger's portrayal of the Joker. It made a huge impression on audiences.
0: Now, this was a huge blockbuster movie, and it had so many action sequences in it that it's not surprising that there may have been a couple of on-set accidents. In fact, every blockbuster movie of this caliber comes with its own set of on-set accidents. But on-set deaths are pretty rare, and this movie had an on-set death.
1: One of the things you don't see in these blockbuster films is all of the insane amount of work that goes into bringing them together. All of the cool stunts and action that we see is actually performed by real people, and sometimes things can go terribly wrong while filming. And things did go terribly wrong while filming The Dark Knight, when a special effects technician died when a stock truck flipped over in the middle of filming a scene. The Guardian newspaper reported, quote, A jury sitting at Woking Corner's court on the two-day inquest heard that a crew were filming a test run for a scene in which the Batmobile is blown up. The Nissan, driven by another special effects technician, Bruce Monroe Armstrong, Failed to make a 90 degree turn required at the end of its run and hit a tree. End quote. Now, while accidents on sets happen sometimes, when someone dies, it tends to leave a depressive pallor that weighs down all that are involved in the film.
0: Unfortunately, The Dark Knight's bad luck did not stop there, as after production, several bad things happened to cast members. This includes Morgan Freeman who played Lucius Fox, the -the behind-the-scenes manager who runs Wayne Enterprises. Freeman suffered a major car accident soon after the film made it into theaters. Freeman and a friend, Damaris Meyer, were driving near his home in Charleston, Mississippi, when Freeman lost control of his vehicle, causing it to go off the edge of the road and flip several times. Ultimately, the investigation determined that there was no chemical impairment involved and that Freeman had likely fallen asleep at the will. The accident, however, was bad, and emergency workers had to cut Freeman and his companion from the vehicle with the jaws of life and airlift them to a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, where Freeman was discovered to have a broken arm, a broken elbow, and some shoulder damage. Now, Freeman made a full recovery after surgery, but this accident is considered by many to be a continuation of a curse on this movie
1: now Freeman's accident wasn't the end of the tragedy surrounding the dark knight you may remember that soon after the movie's release the world was shocked when leading actor Christian Bell was arrested what was worse was that he was arrested for allegedly assaulting his 61 year old mother Jenny and his sister Sharon at their Dorchester hotel in London Apparently, they had gotten in some kind of argument while he was there doing some work to help promote the European opening of the movie. Now, Bell denied the allegations, and the actor was released on Bell and was able to attend the premiere, but this tarnished his reputation in Hollywood and left a negative cloud over the film. Ultimately, the case folded due to insufficient evidence, and Bell refused to discuss it, saying it was a deeply personal matter but many felt his arrest clouded the movie.
0: Unfortunately, this was not the final tragedy to hit the Dark Knight, and what came next left a legacy of pain. One of the stars of the Dark Knight film was Heath Ledger, and he gave a phenomenal performance as the Joker, and ultimately he left a very memorable impression on the audience. So the world was rocked soon after when it was announced that Heath Ledger had tragically died. Ledger's body had been found by his masseuse and his housekeeper on Tuesday, January 22, 2008. Emergency crews arrived on the scene uh, but were unable to revive him, and it was speculated by many that his death was possibly linked to illegal drug use. But ultimately, Ledger's death was determined to be an accidental overdose of prescription medications medications that included painkillers, anti-anxiety drugs, and sleeping pills. The actual cause of death is written as accidental abuse of prescription medications, which means that Ledger was inappropriately using these medications, but did not take them in a combination that was meant to cause his death, aka he did not commit suicide. Many consider Ledger's death to be the ultimate evidence that the Dark Knight is cursed.
1: I don't know if I would say that this movie is cursed. I know a lot of tragedy happened around it, but the tragedy doesn't seem to be connected to the movie, in my opinion. It just happens to be connected to different people's lifestyles, not necessarily anything having to do with the movie except for maybe the first accident.
0: I think I would agree with that. We talked earlier how some of these things are caused... Simply because of poor decision making, uh, Morgan Freeman driving while tired resulted in a car accident. Christian Bale, he has a reputation for being a difficult actor to work with, and it does not surprise me one bit that he may be somewhat volatile. And ultimately, Heath Ledger's death, I think, was caused from exactly what was stated in the medical record that it was an accidental overdose, but also an abuse of prescription medications.
1: So it seems more like their lifestyles rather than the movie that is causing the tragedy.
0: Yes, ultimately bad life decisions and not a cursed movie. But I'm not convinced of that on this next movie. This next movie, I think, may be actually cursed.
1: Yes, and because of that, you've probably never heard of this movie before.
0: Because every time they've tried to make it, the lead actor has died. hmm That movie is called Attic. A-T-U-K. Not Attic, like the top of a house. Alright, guys, stick around after the break, and we will be back with Attic. <music> There are phenomena phenomena that exist exist all around us. us. Kids Kids playing and above something 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 unknown flies over and disappears. People driving at night, seeing seeing huge huge creatures creatures cross the road. road. People waking up up to find their cabinet doors ripped ripped open in your kitchen. Strange things happen happen every day around the world and seemingly at the same time. these occurrences connected connected. this This is is what we are are here here to explore and are trying trying to understand join us on our journey to uncover what we call 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 the the convergence Convergence Enigma. enigma every wednesday on the fearscape media network Guys, we are back. Let's continue our discussion with Attic. Jess, tell us about Attic.
1: Well, as we've discussed before, not many people know about Attic because it never finished production. I would have actually loved to see this movie because the idea behind it is hilarious. It's a simple fish out of water story. There is an Inuit from a small Canadian island called Baffin Island. He ends up going to Toronto and he faces a huge culture shock. The screenplay is based off of a book called The Incomparable Attic. It's a satirical novel by Canadian author Mordecai Richler, and it sounds like it'd make a great movie. The problem is, every time they try to make it into a movie, someone dies.
0: Yes, and this movie, or this screenplay alone, has taken out some of the best comedic geniuses of our time. Starting with John Belushi. Now, for this adaption of the movie, it was changed just a little bit in which Attic was actually going to be coming from Alaska, and he was going to end up in New York, so it was going to be a more Americanized version. And he comes to New York City after stowing away on an airplane following a woman who came to Alaska to make a documentary. And the movie just follows the hilariousness of being a fish out of water, the foibles of our time and the vices of our modern world, and they wanted John Belushi to play Attic. So in 1982, the script was presented to John, and he was interested, and he was offered the lead role for the movie.
1: However, a few months later on March 5th, Belushi was found dead in this hotel room. He was only 33 years old, and his death was considered a tragedy. Pretty much, drugs were suspected from the beginning as a cause of death. But their investigation was inconclusive until two months later when Catherine Evelyn Smith came forward and admitted to giving Belushi the fatal speedball that killed him.
0: Jessica, with all of your in-depth, deep drug knowledge, what is a speedball?
1: (laughs) See, I had no idea what a speedball was, so I looked it up, and it's a mixture of heroin and cocaine, and sometimes the dosages could kill you.
0: Wasn't uh, Catherine Smith actually charged in his death?
1: Yes, she was. And after her confession, she was arrested, charged with first-degree murder, and spent, I think it was like 15 months in prison.
0: They must not have gotten the first-degree murder charge then, because uh, 15 months seems like not a very long time for first-degree murder.
1: I think that the judge realized that this was not an intentional murder, but accidental, and so they were more lenient on their sentencing.
0: So something more like manslaughter?
1: Yeah, I don't know for sure.
0: Why is it that manslaughter sounds so much worse than murder?
1: It does. Like, (laughs) manslaughter in here.
0: (laughs) I think the judge probably also recognized that uh, this was behavior that Belushi was known for, and he probably didn't take this with the intentions of killing himself or dying, but that's what happened. After Belushi's death, the lead role for Attic actually went to comedian Sam Kinnison, and Sam Kinnison was a very popular comedian, stand-up comedian, in the late 80s and early 90s. Kinnison was offered the role in 1988, and production actually began, but Kinnison was not completely happy with the script, and he began to kind of take over creative control, which led to a lot of rewriting of the script, and delay in production, and this actually led to a lawsuit, which took some time to get through. So from 1988 to 1992, this entire production was put on hold until this lawsuit was figured out. Now, the movie was set to begin production again in 1993, but unfortunately, on April the 10th, which happens to be a Friday, 1993, 38-year-old Kennison was involved in a head-on collision with a 17-year-old drunk driver that cost him his life.
1: His best friend, Carl LeBove, and his brother had been driving behind him in another vehicle. So they were there right after the accident, and they said that Kennison was up and walking around acting like there was no injuries, but he was also doing something strange. He was talking to himself and kept repeating the words, I don't want to die. Then he would look like he was talking to someone else and say, but why? Okay, okay. And then he lost consciousness. Resuscitation was attempted, but failed, and he died from internal injuries. His wife was in the car with him at the time, and she survived with only a mild concussion. This could have been the end of the story for the movie Attic but the production team saw something special in the script and refused to give up. The next comedian that was approached to play the role of Attic was John Candy.
0: Yeah, John Candy was approached to play this role in 1994, and it's reported that he was excited to be playing this role and began studying the script. Unfortunately, in March of that year, Candy died at the age of 43 from a heart attack while working in Mexico. Now, before his death, Candy had actually approached one of his close friends, Michael O'Donoghue, and he asked him to read the script and consider joining the cast. Eight months later, O'Donoghue is dead at the age of 54 from a cerebral hemorrhage. So... Some would chalk this up as coincidence, but the deaths don't stop there. But the production is put on hold until 1997, when Chris Farley is approached to play the role of Attic.
1: Farley was really intrigued by this role, because he knew that his idol Belushi had also been offered this role. Unfortunately, Farley, like Belushi, died at the age of 33 in the same way by a drug overdose due to a speedball. So now we have two prominent comedians associated with this film who died the same way at the same age. It's kind of strange that the coincidences surrounding this film keep accumulating.
0: Well, there is at least one more coincidence, and one more actor or comedian who may have met his untimely demise because of this script or this movie, and that is Phil Hartman. Both Farley and Candy are reported to have spoken with Phil Hartman about the Attic script, and Farley wanted Hartman to be involved. Unfortunately, just five months after Chris Farley's death, Hartman was murdered by his wife, Brynn. Brynn and Phil uh, had gotten involved into a heated argument where Phil had threatened to leave her if she started using drugs again, and at 3 a.m., Brynn entered their bedroom and she shot Phil twice in the head and once in his side. She then drove to a friend's house where she confessed to the murder, and her friend, who didn't believe her initially, drove with her back to the house where he saw and discovered Phil's body and called the police. As the police arrived to escort their children out of the home, Brynn locked herself in the bedroom and committed suicide by shooting herself.
1: This final tragedy ended production on Attic, and the script remains untouched.
0: Now, it would be easy to chalk this up as the script or the production being cursed, but when you examine all of these actors, these comedians' lives, there are problems. Belushi, a well-known drug user... Who liked to mix alcohol with drugs? And John Candy, who was by no means a small man. He was a heavy set individual, a type of individual that you may expect to die from a heart attack or from heart disease. Chris Farley, again, majorly into drugs, majorly into alcohol, and mixing those things is a bad, bad combination. And you have Phil Hartman, whose wife was involved in drugs and was not mentally well. So to me, this seems like a curse of drugs and a curse of alcohol and not so much a curse in a script.
1: It is kind of a coincidence, though, that all of these very famous comedians die surrounding the script.
0: That is an undeniable coincidence, but I don't think it's necessarily a causation. Either way, though, the deaths of all of these individuals were felt hard at that time. And they were all great talents and great comedians of their day. And it's sad to see their lives take such a terrible course. But it's also clear to see that all of them had very unhealthy habits
1: and unhealthy
0: lifestyles that often come with being rich and or famous. What do you think? Do you think Attic is a cursed script, or do you think this was a result of natural consequences and unhealthy lifestyles or mental health difficulties? Let us know what you think in the comments. Okay, Jess, one last Hollywood curse, and this happens to do with another superhero and another superhero franchise and that is superman
1: superman is basically the first superhero franchise it's been going strong since the 1940s but its franchise is also rumored to be cursed
0: just did you know that june 12th is officially declared as superman day
1: i didn't know that that's so cool
0: yeah this was started in 2013 by dc entertainment And was part of the original marketing for the Man of Steel movie. It was originally known as Man of Steel Day, but has subsequently become known as Superman Day. And it is now an official calendar holiday.
1: So can I wear a cape on that day?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Might be a good day to also go and check out Metropolis, Illinois. Yeah. Which is the official hometown of Superman.
1: And where exactly is that? Do you know?
0: Yes, it's in southern Illinois, near the western Kentucky border.
1: Along the Ohio River? Yes. So we're familiar with that area.
0: Yes, and we do not live far from that area.
1: We're taking off June 12th, and we're going
0: there. I'm all for it. Let's do it. Road trip. All right, so this curse alleges that anyone who plays the Man of Steel... Ends up suffering great tragedies after their run as the superhero. Now, whether you believe that this is a curse or not, it is factual that many of the actors who have played the lead role have died in unusual and tragic ways or have suffered horrible accidents. Unfortunately, like The Dark Knight, this curse seems to not only follow the lead actor but it can also extend to co-stars and even writers of the material. Just tell us about Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, the original creators, writers, and artists behind Superman.
1: Probably their biggest tragedy or first curse for them was that they sold the rights to the character to DC Comics for $130. Can you imagine that, Eric?
0: Yeah, that's uh, measly.
1: After selling those rights... Then DC started making some big money off of the Superman character, but Siegel and Schuster saw none of this money, even after multiple legal attempts to share in the profits and recover legal ownership.
0: Yeah, so while Man of Steel Superman went on to become literally a billion dollar franchise, the creators of Superman lived nearly their entire lives in poverty, which is sad
1: Yeah, Schuster himself actually suffered from extensive medical problems, and he eventually went blind, and Siegel became increasingly bitter. I wonder if that's where this curse started.
0: Well, I don't know if that's where the curse started, but I can tell you that in 1975, Siegel had this to say. He says, I can't stand to look at a Superman comic book. It makes me physically ill. I love Superman, and yet to me, he has become an alien thing. That's harsh. So perhaps DC brought this on themselves by doing these guys so wrong.
1: I mean, I guess at the time, $130 may have seemed like a lot of money, but it seems like if they're going to be making that much money off of the franchise, they could also share it with the creators or use the creators somehow.
0: This is kind of the same thing that happened to the McDonald brothers when Ray Kroc kind of just created the mcdonald's corporation and stole mcdonald's right from the mcdonald's brothers here's the thing though
1: do you think that superman would have gone anywhere without dc or do you think that mcdonald's would have gone anywhere without ray crock
0: i think that's a hard question to answer they both are definitely the powerhouse behind its success But they both absolutely took advantage of others, the originals, the founders, in order to get where they're at today.
1: Yeah, things could have gone differently. But let's continue with this curse. In the 1940s, the low-budget black-and-white Superman series hit TV, and it starred a man named Kirk Allen. He was popular as the Man of Steel, but as soon as the show ended he found that he had been typecast and he couldn't find work or any other acting jobs because of this. He once told the Associated Press, quote, I couldn't get another job. The world wouldn't accept him as anything else. End quote. Alan actually lived until 1999, which is quite a while considering he was around in the 1940s. He died at the age of 88 of Alzheimer's disease. Now the disease is not necessarily the curse. The curse was that he couldn't work after he played the role of Superman.
0: Even people who did not act in live-action Superman productions also found themselves potentially cursed. From 1941 to 1943, a cartoon version of Superman appeared on television, and it was voiced by an actor by the name of Bud Collier. Bud, while a successful voice actor, died only three short years after voicing Superman, Bud died unexpectedly at the age of 61.
1: George Reeves is widely regarded as the guy who brought the Superman curse to the public's attention. He played the first man of still in the 1951 film Superman and the Moleman. Reeves continued his career by starring in the Superman TV series that ran for six years between 1952 and 1958. Reeves was successful in his role as Superman, but just like Alan, He was typecasted, and Reeves had trouble finding work when the series ended.
0: Yeah, and allegedly this drove him into depression, and in 1959, Reeves committed suicide. Christopher Reeve was the next actor to step into the red undies. Now, it's important to note that Christopher Reeve and George Reeves are not related. They have very similar last names, but they are not related. One is a Reeves, and the other is a Reeve. Christopher Reeve was cast in the 1978 production of Superman the Movie, and he went on to star in three Superman movies. Unfortunately, Reeve also found that he had been typecast after playing Superman, and he had difficulty afterwards finding roles. One of the things that Reeve liked to do when he was not playing Superman and as part of his personal life was he liked to ride and jump horses. Sadly, in May of 1995, Reeve was paralyzed from the neck down when he was thrown from his horse while participating in a cross-country riding event. Reeve unfortunately never walked again, and died from complications secondary to paralysis and infection in October of 2004. Now, this curse also seems to extend to co-stars. One of those co-stars was Richard Pryor. Jessica, what's the story behind this? In
1: 1983, shortly after playing the villain Gus Gorman in the Superman 3 movie, he was diagnosed with MS, which is multiple sclerosis. Pryor was eventually confined to a wheelchair and died at age 65 in 2005 from a heart attack.
0: Marlon Brando, who played jor Superman's father, was also not spared He suffered many tragedies after filming Superman. This includes his son, who killed his half-sister, and his daughter, who committed suicide. Brando himself died in 2004, only three months before Christopher Reeve.
1: Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane, perhaps had it worse than all her co-stars. After starring in the film, her life began to fall apart. Being typecast as a damsel in distress, she had no more lead roles. In 1990, she was in a major car accident that left her temporarily paralyzed. Due to this, she was unable to work, which brought on severe depression, and a psychotic break in 1996. Luckily for her, she was sent in for treatment at the UCLA Medical Center, which helped her turn her life around, and she seems to be doing well today, living a much-deserved quiet life.
0: Even the baby actor that played baby Superman doesn't seem to be spared from this curse. That actor was Lee John Quigley, who was the youngest actor to ever play Superman, and was cast at seven months old to play the baby version of The Man of Steel in the 1978 movie. Unfortunately, Lee's home life as a teenager was turbulent, and he was teased and bullied at school. This led to depression and drug use. His drug of choice was solvents, And in 1991, Lee died from solvent ingestion at the age of 14.
1: Of course, the curse doesn't always follow those who play Superman or are part of the Superman franchise. This curse can also follow family members, as in the case of Dana Reeve, who died only two years after her husband at the age of 44 from complications of lung cancer, even though she never smoked.
0: Now, there are three actors who have played Superman that all deny the existence of a curse. That includes Brandon Ralph, Bob Holliday, and Henry Cavill. Now, Brandon Rolf still has a very prominent Hollywood career, although his roles do tend to stem around superheroes. So, potentially some typecasting on his part, but both Ralph and Holliday both have publicly said that they do not believe that there is a curse. Henry Cavill also does not believe in a curse. He has also had very good success in Hollywood and has played multiple characters outside of superheroes. In fact, Cavill's career seems to be thriving, and he adamantly denies the existence of a curse at all. In an interview with Collider, he said this,
1: Quote, Well, I mean, I honestly don't believe there is a curse. I think there's some bad luck in the past, especially when it comes to horses, and I don't think that is a joke. My fiancé is an international show jumper, and I know all the risks attached to that. You can fall off a thousand times and be fine, and then one time, you're at home, out in the yard, all it takes is something to startle the horse, and you're off, and you fall the wrong way. That's bad luck. But I don't think it's any curse. End quote.
0: So Jess, do you think there is a Superman curse, or do you agree with Cavill and think it's just a series of bad luck?
1: Well, the Superman franchise and the Superman movies are huge. And they require a lot of people to work on them. So for a few people and all of the thousands that work on them to have some tragedies, I don't think is unusual. I think it's just part of life.
0: So not a curse?
1: No. And I do think that Superman is such a big role that typecasting is pretty common. It would be like, you know, Harry Potter. If you're playing that role and it's very popular, you're going to be typecasted. That basically means you're doing a good job.
0: So, even being typecasted is not a curse. It just means that you did such a good job in your role that people only want to see you in that role.
1: Yes, it means that you took a very big role and did a very good job at it.
0: I tend to agree with you, Jess. And this kind of goes back to our discussion that we had in episode 31 about the 27 Club. And the reason why the 27 Club exists is not because it's statistically significant, but because. These were all artists that were popular and offered significant contribution to their art. So when a person of that caliber of acting or music or theater or any type of production suffers a tragedy or dies early, people remember that.
1: But I can also see why people might associate it with a curse, because when tragedies like this happen over and over again around similar circumstances, you kind of think something's wrong there and maybe attribute it to a curse.
0: Yeah, absolutely reasonable. I think that, and don't get me wrong, I do believe that there are such things as curses, but I think in this case, this is more tragedy and not curse.
1: Yeah, over a long period of time, there are going to be some people who have tragic deaths, and that doesn't necessarily make it a curse.
0: But it does make it legend, and it does make it folklore, and that is what we specialize in. So, if you're interested in learning more about the 27 Club, go check out episode 31. Are there other Hollywood curses you would like for us to cover? Are there any cursed items that you would like to know more about? Feel free to contact us and let us know.
1: We love to hear from you, and we may even mention you in that episode.
0: I do like these episodes that we've done on Cursed Objects, Jess. They have been really fun to look into and investigate.
1: Yes, give us some more ideas.
0: Yes, we are absolutely open to ideas. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us. We will see you next time. Bye. All right, folks, that is the end of this episode. We want to thank you for joining us and let you know that we appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you would like to share an experience, be on the show, or submit a story, you can do that through our email at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com or through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. So, until next time, remember, don't be normal if you can be paranormal.